probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Kyle Pinion, entertainment editor for ComicsBeat.com and editor-in-chief for GeekRex.com. So today we are talking about minute 49 of The Thing, which uh, begins with the end of that iconic uh, Benning's Thing scream that we talked about a lot yesterday, and then ends a minute later... Uh, as they pour kerosene into the uh, the big hole in the snow, where they're going to start uh, burning the the rest of the bodies to make sure that nothing nothing escapes. So yeah, we begin the scene with that with that scream kind of continuing over, and is still you know just one of those uh, incredibly iconic, creepy moments of sound design that uh, that I I'll, I will not forget. But then uh, immediately they decide to to burn it down, and so they kick over the big can of kerosene, and and Mac throws his throws his flare. So I think this this scene is pretty horrifying because it is, you know, even though we we clearly know it's not Bennings, it still looks like a person. And we just immediately, they just burn it down. McCready has no no hesitation whatsoever taking charge and, and doing what he thinks he has to. I guess that's how Carpenter finally decides this is how we're going to set McCready as the hero of the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know he is because he's the, he's the bigger, bigger action star of the bunch. You know he is because he's... Um, He's John Carpenter's sort of go-to star of the moment. But uh, in universe, I don't think there's much that actually establishes that beyond the fact that he's kind of a surly guy with a bad attitude, you know? So to see him sort of just jump in and and immediately execute this person by burning them alive, I guess sort of sets them up both as the, the, the main protagonist of the film that we as an audience are going to root for, but also as sort of a morally ambiguous character mm-hmm. uh, beyond the guy that just kind of pours coffee on a computer that he thinks cheats at chess. <laughs> but uh, instead, he's he's the guy that will do what needs to be done uh, in a very desperate situation. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of neat. Yeah, this, uh, you know, we've talked in previous minutes about little bitty hints that that he's, you know, like you say, it's obvious to us as viewers, just because we know who Kurt Russell is, that he's going to be the star of this movie. But there's not a whole lot that he actively does up to this point. He's kind of a participant. But, you know, there are a couple moments where he kind of starts to take charge. You know, he's the one that tells uh, tells Childs to get the flamethrower and stuff like that. But this is the moment where he kind of takes action and, and does, they're all kind of dumbfounded and staring at it. And he just takes action and, and, and does what needs to be done to to get rid of this monster because he's starting to understand the um, the stakes that are that are happening uh, with this with the threat of the alien. You know what's funny too about them all just standing there in a circle and staring at him is that you can barely see their faces. Um, I, I I think it's neat that he sort of shrouds them not only in clothing but also in shadow mm-hmm. to the point where the only faces we will see uh, in that scene. Uh, is the back of George's head 
and McCready, who instantly becomes the most recognizable guy of the entire bunch. Everyone else kind of becomes this supporting, expendable character who not only sort of absorbs the horror that's occurring in front of them, but they also uh, it, it almost seems like you realize these are the guys that are going to be paired off one by one by one. And maybe they know it too. Yeah. Just that kind of pan across the the group of them. It definitely gives that sense. And the fact that they're, you know, kind of engulfed in shadow, like you said, too, just gives a sense of like, they're, you know, that they are doomed and that we don't know who they are, even if you, since you can't see their faces, like, you know, we talked about face blindness earlier, uh, earlier this week, but that also kind of, you know, you could say that kind of plays into the movie as well. That, if you can't tell who they are, then neither can the characters in the movie can't tell whether they're they're still human or not. Good point. So I think it's really creepy that after he lights uh, Bennings on fire, that it looks like he's still moving around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know exactly how they accomplish that, if there's some kind of I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's a dummy that they're burning, but I don't know if, if, if it had some kind of motor in it that was making it move around or if that was just something that happened, you know, a happy accident. But it's definitely much more disturbing in that it's clearly not just like a, a stationary thing. It's it's it looks like it's still alive. <laughs> it's a gifted little bit of practical effects making, man. Like I, I never had the illusion broken for me that I wasn't looking at the actor uh, sitting in the middle of that circle. And when the uh, when the flare catches fire and, and the gasoline and stuff, uh, it, it's just such a smooth cut. You know, it's a dummy when you and, and when you use your logical brain. But when you're trying to look at it from the world of that narrative, uh, to me, no one but George is sitting there. So I, I was really impressed with how that was cut together and put together. Yeah. And, you know, now that I'm looking at it, I'm wondering, too, if it might have even been because obviously later in the movie, they have a scene where they had a stuntman. Um, I think his name's Tony Caesar, I think, um, actually, you know, gets lit on fire and walks out of, you know, bursts through the wall and walks out of the base. I wonder if this was even a real if that was a stuntman let there, not a prop. No, there's no way, man. You know how the <laughs> stuntman do. You know when they're when they're in that thing and they basically do that Frankenstein walk when they're on fire. Like every single on fire stuntman I've ever seen does the exact same. That thing. That is true. And I, there, there's no way there'd be some guy just sitting there doing that, cat setting himself on fire thing. They're not that that protester from uh, God. What is that <laughs> iconic thing that the guy that set himself on fire? Yeah, is it like monk. a Tiananmen Square or something? Yeah, I think it's it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely recalls that image the way he's sitting too, for sure. It does right? I, was was that that was that was before this movie, right? I don't know my history that well. <laughs> I think so. I think it yeah. had to be. That, I think that that one um, was a was a was it a Tibetan monk? I'm, I'm embarrassed that I don't know anything about it. <laughs> uh, I'm. You know what? I'm going to look it up. You keep talking, and then I'll fill in the gap here. All right. So yeah, I don't know if it is a stunt man or or not, but uh, it definitely looks like it's moving around and. Definitely adds to the sense of uh, of unease that we are, you know, that some of these guys maybe don't believe McCready, and, and uh, you know, even though they've they've seen Bennings, as as we see uh, Gary in a minute, doesn't necessarily believe what's going on. Uh, you know, to them it might still be you know their buddy, and they're burning him alive right in front of them. All right, so this was 1963 in Vietnam. Ah, okay. That was the so, burning monk. Yeah, Vietnamese Mayana Buddhist monk. Okay, so yeah, that could definitely be a, a you know visual callback, and intentional or not, yeah. Which you know, obviously, that's a that's a pretty disturbing, powerful image, and you know, maybe Carpenter's trying to take advantage of that in some way. Could be, could be. 
Computer, how likely is it that one of our guests may be infected with the intruder organism? 100%. Great. In that case, what are our chances of survival? Projection. If guests make it to other podcasts, all of iTunes will be infected within 27,000 hours. Yikes. Well, how long can we keep this up in the meantime? Projection. Without listener support, the generator will be destroyed in less than 24 hours and podcasting will be impossible. If only the radio wasn't down, we could reach the mainland and tell the listeners to go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button in the bottom right of the page to help out. Projection. If listeners go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button, chances of the podcast survival goes up 75%. Windows, keep trying. So the bulk of this minute um, after the uh, burning is really taken up with this other scene, um, just a, another one that uh, Carpenter added in. And this one especially is to really help, uh, you know, nail down the concept of what's happening with these imitations where McCready runs in to get his uh, grab the flamethrower and Gary is just completely distraught and, and is, you know, can't wrap his head around what's going on. So, yeah, he's he's just kind of in total disbelief about that Benning's, you know, he's asking what was happening to Bennings. And this is where McCready is really trying to get it through his head that it's, it wasn't Bennings that was infected by something. It was something else pretending to be Bennings, which is a pretty, I guess, pretty complicated distinction, which is, you know, again, why, why Carpenter probably felt like he needed to put it in here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that people, again, uh, who are maybe unfamiliar with the concept probably really needed to have it drilled into them. Um, I, I think it's a scene the movie could have done without, but I guess what it could do is provide sort of an emotional context yeah. and grounding that didn't necessarily exist between some of these characters. Uh, I mean, for the, for the entire time we're watching this movie, it's pretty clear that George is kind of an asshole and he's, he's really <laughs> yeah. been sort of a prick to everybody throughout the movie. I mean, he did get shot in the leg, but uh, still, he's 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 relatively sort of uh, kind of a hothead compared to everybody else. And so it, it, it's it's nice to have uh, to have Gary sort of come out and say, this is my good friend. I, why are we burning him alive? I don't understand. So I, I think that adds a dimension that just hadn't been present up to that point. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, of all the people uh, in on the cast, Bennings is probably the least likable because, like you said, he is kind of he's kind of a grump. He's kind of kind of always complaining. And so, yeah, to, you know, it's not maybe not as emotionally devastating as it should be when he gets killed. So having this immediately follow where um, Gary, who actually Donald Moffat that plays Gary, um, he came up with the line himself about how he's known him for 10 years and all that as um, and that, you know, he's clearly pretty broken up. I think it's a pretty, pretty solid bit of acting from Moffat, too. It really sells that this is, you know, this was somebody that they all knew and worked with and, and were friends with. And that it is a pretty terrifying moment that, you know, maybe the rest of them have not kind of, you know, grasped the consequences yet. Uh, whereas McCready is is kind of he's over it. Like he's, he's kind of done with it at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it looks like he's having the exact same moment that McCready had literally just a few minutes earlier (laughs) where it's like, okay, silently understanding. And then begrudgingly, I have to go do this too. Uh, I mean, when Moffat, uh, Don Moffat turns around and picks up the, uh, the, the equipment to go burn the rest of, of, uh, the rest of George's body, that is a scene of like begrudging acceptance. That is like the first thing that, that, that really just 
burned into my head the moment I saw it. And uh, that's it's a powerful piece of acting that it's it's not it's not uh, what you would expect. Again, and I feel like that's sort of my 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 takeaway from the thing uh, in this rewatch. It is it does nothing you would expect in every little corner. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot more advantage of some of these kind of in-between moments than most most horror movies, especially around this time in the early 80s, really did. You know, we, I've mentioned it before that it's kind of ironic that most people consider Halloween to be kind of the, the founding movie for the slasher genre, um, I, even though there are potentially some others before. But And that, you know, that genre as a whole it, uh, is about just characters that get just picked off that you don't really care about. There's not a lot of like emotion behind it. It's just a sense of like, who's going to, who's going to get it next. And, you know, the excitement of that is kind of what that genre plays off of. And this movie is so opposite of that where, um, you know, they do, they do try and add a little bit of emotion to it, but there it's mostly about the suspense and, and the paranoia of it more than just like, uh, you know, how's this, this next kill is going to be a really juicy one. Let's see how that's going to come out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. There, there, it's a movie that, that, that it's funny. It's about men and about uh, sort of survivalism, but it's not about bravado. Yeah. And I find that very refreshing. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I mentioned that very early in the podcast when we were talking about the fact that it is an all male cast and everything and that I don't um, I don't think that this movie, even though that's one of the things that it's kind of famous for is um, I don't think it's a particularly masculine movie. Obviously, there are some bits of kind of action movie hero uh, towards the end with Kurt Russell, but it, it really isn't that most of the time. It is kind of a thoughtful, more thoughtful movie and less kind of like bravado, like you say, which is it is refreshing. And it's it's I think that's one of the reasons this movie stands out um, among the other movies that came out around the same time. Indeed. I don't think I had anything else major. Oh, I did want to say something from the beginning with the, uh, you know, as he throws the flare in. Dean Cundy, the cinematographer, he said that he didn't he they were trying to figure out a way to light these kind of outdoor scenes interestingly. And um, he really didn't want to use flashlights because he didn't want to kind of reveal things in that way. He thought the the um, the flares would be a more interesting kind of visual counterpoint to that blue background and everything. But uh, he did note that they would never be able to do that now because these flares were so incredibly dangerous. That <laughs> um, you know, you saw it. I think in the last minute when uh, when he you know strikes the flare and, and starts it up, that it's just like these huge sparks of magnesium or whatever flying off of it. Like they're really dangerous. <laughs> and, I've never uh, used a flare before. I didn't realize it was such a dangerous thing. I didn't either. And and I, I haven't used one either, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you do see it throughout the movie, some, some bits kind of f- flying off of them and falling out like this liquid flaming chemical or whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. De- definitely something that a, a modern director probably would not have Kurt Russell, you know, holding up to his face like that. <laughs> <laughs> probably not <laughs> it was a different time <laughs> yeah most definitely so there uh there's a lot of a uh, lot of spots in this movie where the actors do some pretty pretty dangerous things that uh, you would never never get away with now it would definitely be a uh a stuntman or a or a cgi something in uh in a modern horror movie for sure well you know it, this was the uh the the days before vic morrow getting you killed by a helicopter so there was probably 
a number of uh, uh, of different uh, safety precautions that were not taken <laughs> yeah. up until that point. Yeah, we talked about that. That that's that was only like a year or two after this, I think, when that happened. And, and obviously, that that I think was probably the catalyst for a, a lot of major safety changes for for movie productions. So this is you know maybe one, one of the last ones. It wasn't even it wasn't even a year or two later. It was okay. So this movie was probably filmed a year before. Yeah, eighty one. Right? Yeah, 81. So that happened in July 23rd of 1982. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that, so that was that was like a month after the movie came out. Yeah. That, that happened. Wow, that's wild. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it pretty much uh, ruined the uh, career of a prominent filmmaker, too. Yeah, it definitely did, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it does make for some interesting stuff in this movie, and I, I guess we're – we're lucky that uh, that Kurt Russell and the rest of the gang survived the filming of the thing uh, to to go on and do other other awesome stuff. So, um, I think that's that's more or less all I had for uh, for minute forty nine. Do you have any anything else you wanted to uh, mention? No, the, the, I think we've uh, we have uh, run this tap dry. Cool. All right, so uh, that'll wrap this one up, but uh, make sure to check us out in iTunes. You can uh, find a link on our website or just search for it in the iTunes app. And if, uh, if you haven't already, you can go ahead and subscribe to the show there, or uh, you can also find us on Stitcher and Podcast Addict and, and some of those other, uh, other places where you can find podcasts. But even if you're not using iTunes, uh, if you rate and review us in iTunes, that really does help the show out. It uh, helps us find new listeners and things like that just because it you know makes us higher up in the in the search and iTunes and everything. So if you go in, if you like the show, give us a five-star rating and, and tell us what you think, and we'd really appreciate that. But as you're doing that, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.